1: We have a lot of videos of the podcast and various other tutorials on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash YouTube. Happy mixing and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the of Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and today we will be talking about saturation. Now you may have heard me in the past, many times in the past, talk a lot about tape versus tube, um, about clipping, hard clipping, soft clipping, and today we're kind of going to go over all the different parts of it and make sure that we can help you as a listener understand what the heck is going on when we talk about saturation, what harmonics are Things of, that, uh, things of that sort of capacity there. So first things first, we're going to talk about general harmonics and saturation. Now, saturation is an important part of any sort of mixer or mastering engineer's workflow. Saturation will kind of create um, audio to feel thicker, more velvety, depending on how it is depending, there's a lot of different adjectives you can use. They're kind of arbitrary and more based around the feeling. <laughs> but the point is, what's happening is that if you have a perfect 100 hertz sine wave, an even harmonic will add a little bit of 200 hertz, 400 hertz, etc., cetera, et cetera, 600, 800, you know, 1,000, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. And it's going to add this even layer of octaves because everything is made out of harmonics. Even our voice, there's harmonics. Um, when we sing. And so it's, these actually harmonics are oftentimes our brain uses them as indicators for us to figure out what the source material is. Like the reason why we can tell it's a trombone is a specific amount of uh specific character of harmonics. The reason uh high voice timbre, someone's vocal, you can tell that that's Selena singing versus, you know, somebody else singing because of the harmonics that their voice and their body and the resonances their their throats and etc naturally resonates at. So this is interesting. I'm I'm reading a little bit here from a few different websites, and one of them is from um, Sage Audio here. If you've seen their YouTube channel, but they have a little website talking about this, and I'm gonna kind of um, read through this. Being specific with harmonics, in short, we have even and odd harmonics. Even harmonics are the second, fourth, sixth, and so on harmonics as it relates to the fundamental frequency. So what we were talking about with 100 hertz, 200 hertz, 400 hertz. Odd harmonics are the odd intervals. The more you use various saturators, the more you'll begin to memorize the harmonic formations that they create to turn the tone. So for example, in a harp in an odd harmonic tone there's 100 if you have 100 hertz perfect sine waves and we're going to use that as like our baseline frequency because it's easier to kind of do the math with so you got 100 300 500 700 etc 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 so in this with even harmonics since they are octaves um, it tends to be smoother and it tends to be cleaner in the sense that Things kind of tend to be a little bit louder without adding too much harshness, grit. Um, There's no abrasive in-between harmonics. It's literally just octaves. So when you stack vocal octaves together, it sounds nice. It's the same sort of thing. Um, When you do odd harmonics, it can be a little bit more abrasive, but that might be the reason why you like it. Um, The abrasive nature of odd harmonics, for example, in a bass or an 808, might be the reason why that distortion sounds nice and it punches through the mix. So it depends on which one you want to use here. You can also equalize with sac- saturation. I do this quite often. There's a few tools that helps you visualize it as well. For example, um, I use Spectre from Waves Factory. I'm pretty sure it's Waves Factory, but Spectre is a. It looks like an EQ, but it's actually it's actually a saturator, and so it's uh, a modulated. Saturated, where you can just saturate specific frequencies. Saturn does something simil- similar with Fab filter. Saturn, you can saturate frequencies. Um, isotope and neutron, as well as trash from uh, neutron, ozone, and trash from isotope, also does the same sort of thing where you can um, manipulate the saturation and the types. And the cool thing about saturation is that they also compress. Now, I want to be clear that when we talk about compression. We're not talking about the same type of compression from a compressor. So a compressor, what happens is if there's a level that passes a threshold, it literally turns down the volume. If it were perfect perfect hardware in a perfect world, what would happen is that the level would be lowered as if someone were on the console anticipating the volume to go past a certain threshold, and then literally turning down the volume with the fader. That's, that's the point. It's supposed to be clean. It's supposed to be unnoticed. It's supposed to be kind of that sort of simulation there where a person turns down the fader. Now, when we talk about tape compresses, when we talk about tubes compressed, when we talk about the compression that comes from saturation, that's actually a different type of compression. It's, it's not necessarily turning down the volume. It's more so that these emulation, these uh, previously used um, hardware devices can't handle that much dynamic range, can't handle that amount of amplitude. So it squishes down the peaks, not because it's turning it down or it's supposed to do that, but it's because the the dynamic range, the the saturation cannot, ha- or the device cannot handle that level of volume difference and that dynamic change. So it actually lowers the volume because it, it can't handle it. So it's actually, um, what do you call it? it's it's a issue of hardware it's it's a lack of fidelity you're losing fidelity um, but it's it's also fairly natural sounding depending on how you do it. compressors are supposed to sometimes compressors are supposed to sound there's some compressors that sound really really abrasive and really really cool and very uh, colorful colorful meaning it's very obvious when you compress and some some. Compressors are tonally just very transparent, like you can barely hear it, and that's how it's supposed to be used. And a lot of mastering compressors are, are supposed to be like that. Um, and a lot of compressors that I like to use, even, are totally colored, and you can tell when you're using a plugin, a specific plugin, or a specific piece of hardware. And it's that's the cool vibe of it. I, I want to smash the drums to be really aggressive and sound really cool. I want it to break up and distort in this way. Uh, same thing with uh, tape emulations, even with plugins, you'll notice that some plugins, for example, from Overloud, distributed by Ilio, one of our sponsors for this show. They have an awesome plugin called Tape Desk, and that's a very subtle style of saturation. There's it's the It's emulating, going through a console, so going through some sort of like Neve or SSL-style preamp, and then going out into a tape machine. And both those things kind of saturate and lower the signal, although it's very, very subtle. There's a lot of tape emulations that are really extreme as well. Now, I know that, for example, on Plug-It Alliance, one of my favorite buddies, Eddie, is uh, the creator and founder of Kive, K-I-I-V-E, and I love Kive plugins. And they they just released it onto Plug-It Alliance, the tape face. The tape face is really interesting that one you can use super duper aggressively also going through different components it can uh, most of the time with vintage hardware or older style emulated hardware the top end you'll lose a lot of top end um, because top end is something that is typically lost in an analog stage these these um How do you say suboptimal hardware that, (laughs) you know, digital is pristine mostly because everything before digital literally lowered the fidelity of audio. The reason why these old vintage microphones are so damn bright is because by the time it actually goes through a console, it darkens the sound. So that warm tone, as Dave Pensado says, warm is just another word for boring or dull. (laughs) Sorry, that's what it was. Warm is just another word for dull. And that's what, what happened with these big Neve consoles, which had a lot of components going through the channel, through the signal chain. Um, it would dull out the top end and thus create a quote-unquote warm sound. Now that's part of the reason why SSL became so popular is because it was the cleanest signal chain per channel and it maintained retained the most amount of top end. So, um, and created the least amount of harmonic saturation, which now we do on purpose back in the day, from what I understand, cause I never did tape machines. I kind of grew up in the modern digital age, but from what I understand, you would actually kind of use consoles or go to different studios. And that was a big deal. And you'd want to avoid saturation. Like saturation is something that you didn't want to use but people started realizing you can actually get louder and have like uh, perceived punchiness, which we'll talk about in just a moment here. More perceived punchiness with saturation. Saturation with control, with a certain amount of control, becomes a useful tool for the mixing and, and mastering process. Even production process. And there's a lot of tools that do that. Some tools like the Decapitator by Sound Toys, totally destroys and crushes uh, the audio and it just hard clips. Clipping is the idea that... um when a signal goes past, typically zero is when we use clipping, but there's a lot of plugins that like um, emulates the lowering of zero or you know the hard ceiling of it. And if it goes past ceiling, it literally just... If you have a round wave, and i am if you're watching on YouTube, you can see me visualizing with my fingers, but if you're just listening, I'm going to try my best to explain this. So clipping a wave is when you have a squiggly waveform that goes up and down, and the edges are fairly smooth. The top and bottom, it rounds out, right? When you go past zero, instead of lowering the volume of that rounded top edge what happens is that it cuts it off completely. So it turns into a square. And that square wave, I mean, if you've heard of, of if you use synthesizers, then you kind of know what square waves sound like. It's, it's that distorted sound. Same thing with saw waves, you know, various different ways. If you've, if you've messed with synthesizers at all, you'll notice that a perfect sine wave is just a nice rounded sound. And then the more that you manipulate The edges or the actual sine wave, the more distorted and crunchy that you can get. And that's kind of what happens as well as, so that's like saturation as well as adding harmonics. Um, And I'm going to add, I'm going to talk, I'm going to read the next paragraph here from this little website here. If you have two competing signals, say your kick and bass tracks, you can use specific forms of distortion to separate the two. Let's say both have a fundamental at 60 hertz. You can use odd harmonic distortion on the kick and even harmonic distortion on the bass. The kick will still have its fundamental, but will also have harmonics at 180, 300, and maybe even 420 hertz. The bass will start, will still have its 60 hertz fundamental as well, but will also have harmonics at 120, 240, and maybe 360 so that's interesting. I haven't even I haven't thought about the concept of mixing odd and even harmonics, but that makes fair amount of sense. I don't think that it's going to make such a big difference, like practically speaking. I think it'll make a little bit of a difference. I don't think it's going to make such a huge difference. Yeah, even at the end of this paragraph it says, "Although this may be subtle, Um, it can definitely help separate competing instruments. I I don't know actually how practical it is, especially because a bass note will never stay on the root. So for example, if the key, whatever the key of the song is at 60 hertz, the bass is never going to stick to that 60 hertz song, especially if it's a different genre, more like funk style, then the bass is going to be walking, jazz is going to be walking the entire time. Um, So even if the, and you can't really pitch and tune a kick drum while recording so i mean unless you're going to do that manually with automation and plugins so although a kick drum will remain at that 60 hertz a bass was going to be walking up and down so it'll automatically already be separated to begin with that's that's really not a practical uh, example um, but conceptually that does make sense Um, in the sense that also in a mix when you add harmonics you're literally thickening up Thickening up a signal so you're raising perceived loudness without actually turning up the volume now I do this all the time so waves has a plug-in called the Shep 73 Andrew Shep's released a waves emulation of the 1073 by Neve by Neve and uh, in that I turn on the clipping at the lowest level so I'm distorting the signal. And what happens is most of the time with just that alone at minus 20 or the lowest level that you can do, with just that alone, you have Eclipse the, the top and it adds harmonics so it actually feels louder. The snare will feel louder, but you look at the meter and the peak level is actually quieter. So this is a way that a lot of mixers will save headroom, will create headroom, is by Clipping, adding harmonics, um, adding saturation, um, and even compressing, we'll throw that in there as well, in order to save headroom so you can get louder mixes. Now, the secret to louder mixes is going to be a lot of uses of saturation or adding harmonics, uh, clipping, soft clipping, hard clipping. These things will get you to a loud master, not just using a single limiter at the end, um, which, which um, is one of my favorite things to do. So practically speaking... What I love to do is I will actually use different compressors that have different harmonic characters to them. Some, um, typically speaking, most of the time, tube compressors or any sort of tube saturation or going through a tube is even harmonics. Any sort of tape or transistor... Color is going to be odd harmonics. So, one thing that I like to do is like if you use like an LA2A type emulation, assuming that it has harmonics, and you can find out by creating like a signal generator. So, you can create a 100 hertz sine wave. If you're on Pro Tools, you can just go to Audio Suite, you know, select a range of audio, uh, Audio Suite, signal generator, 100 hertz, you know, leave it there. And then you can actually put plugins on and see how much it uh, generates. Because if it's a clean 100 hertz sine wave, then you should see, if it's a tube, you should see. Um, 200, 400, and each one will characterize it a little bit different. Maybe the 200 is small, but the 400 is huge, and the 600 is bigger than the 200, you know, or vice versa. The 200 is the biggest one, the 400, and it goes down. Um, You might see that the 800 one is actually, so that's how harmonic characterizations are made. Anyway, so you can look it up and see which ones are which, Um, and that's a fun way to test. I like to see which Uh, which plugins are the cleanest and which plugins like, for example, I've always wondered what the Coral Baxter does. I I don't remember exactly what it does, but Coral Baxter, the free plugin from uh, ooh, what plugin company is that? But the Coral Baxter is a Baxendall type EQ from I forgot. You need to look it up. Hold Hold on. Now I'm looking it up. Is from Acoustica Audio. I can't believe I forgot that. Acoustica Audio, tons of high end, really heavy processing plugins. They have a free Baxendall type EQ, and there's a harmonics button in the middle, and <laughs> you can barely hear it. It's very subtle. And I've wondered, and I don't remember exactly what the results were, but you can actually change the harmonic saturation of the plugin or keep it super clean. Um, Some things actually add no harmonic saturation. For example, one of my favorite tools used by my mentor and I, Leslie Brathway, has really brought this to the mainstream attention, is the voice of God from... I think Universal Audio is the only one that makes the official licensed version. The Voice of God does not add any sort of harmonic saturation or does not add any sort of harmonics. It's literally just a clean, um, high-pass filter with a bump. That's all it is. And some things are like if you run it through a nicely emulated Poltec and you push the signal a little bit, you might get a little bit of harmonic saturation. Again, test you can use any sort of like span which is free frequency analyzer or I just use fab filter and you can put the fab filter on a hundred hertz sine wave, put different plugins on before it, and you can see if it adds any sort of harmonics. And it's really interesting to see. It's genuinely just interesting to check out. Anyway, the harmonics can add to headroom by saturating, bringing up all the frequencies in between. It's kind of like filling up a jar with marbles and then adding sa- adding harmonics is um, is like adding sand. So you can actually put more into that jar of marbles. You can fill up more space by putting sand in between the marbles. It's the same thing with harmonics in general. Um, and uh, that's that's literally what mixers will use. I'm not... Practically speaking, which I'm, I'm a big deal about practical, right? I don't, I don't believe in mixed tips unless you kind of figure out and talk about how it helps. Now, saturation, harmonics, clipping in general, distortion in general, compression in general, is rarely ever am I going in and, and doing a compressor, or using a compressor, or using a saturation with Odd and even in mind, really, like to a certain degree. With the Spectre, you can do tape versus tube and and a bajillion other and a few other, like a dozen other um, types of saturation. Now, sometimes I'm more thinking about how does this tape saturation sound in general and how has it sounded in the past? Will it solve the issues that I have? Will distinct by Kive, right? It's got even and harm odd distortion. And harmonics, and it's like, okay, I know what the even sounds like. It's gonna add more low. At least with this specific plugin, it kind of adds more low end with the kick drum. Um, and if I do odd, it's gonna, it's not gonna add as much low end, but it's gonna make it feel a little bit more aggressive. So like, you got to pay attention to these things. And I, and I kind of more pay attention to how it changes the audio. I'm not really paying attention to whether it's even or odd. Does that make sense? So I'm still using my ear to determine. I'm not calculating, okay, I used even for the last one, so I'm going to use odd for this one. That's not something that uh, practically a mixer will ever do. Um, I think maybe you should try doing that just to kind of get used to the different tones and the different sounds that you can create with a few different plugins. But that's not something that you want to do in the long term. It's not something I literally just bypass a plugin, Re- re-enable it. Does it sound better? Do I like the sound? And then oftentimes I do pract- Like, look at the meters and I if I can't hear a difference, like this is a real thing that happens. Like if I have a snare drum or a kick drum and I saturate it a little bit and the meters are saying that I've lowered level, the meters are saying the peak the peak level on my Pro Tools meter is showing that it's lower, but I bypass the plugin and I can't hear a difference. That is a lot of times ideal That is super ideal because then you're literally getting free headroom, which can mean a certain amount of LUFS at the end of the day, especially if it's something so transient like a kick drum and a snare. Any way that you can lower the peak level without without lowering the perceived loudness is a win in my books. We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio based out of Berlin. Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment. Everything from compressors both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers and to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwercraft machine which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressor. I mean this thing is built to the brim with tubes and and transformers it's fantastic. They have digitally controlled analog gear which I'm a huge huge fan of. They've got two different pieces of that. They've got 500 series gear. So whether you're a tracking engineer, a mixing engineer or a mastering engineer, you need to check out this high quality company Tegler. And guess what their prices? They're not they're not crazy they're mid-range prices for high-end equipment they're like a fantastic company we love them so much and if you want 10 percent off any of their gear you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly or I'll link it at mixingmusicpodcast.com slash tegler t e g e l e-r and use the code pod to get 10 percent off your next order now back to the show now a lot of the times, this is a very common mistake that I see, is that if you print a mix from a lesser experienced engineer and they don't use enough compression, saturation, clipping, distortion, whatever, harmonics, all the above, then what happens is that you get something what I like to call a caterpillar mix, especially with something with a lot of kick and snare. You'll see each individual, you'll see like a very skinny caterpillar, but you'll see spikes, very long spikes. And those spikes are going to keep you keep you from getting... Um, the desired volume. It's going to keep you from having low LUFS uh, or high. Hold on, hold on. Low LUFS, meaning low volume. So high dynamic range, low volume. So you're going to, you're not going to be able to get much past minus 14 or minus 50, depending on what it is, right? I don't know. There's no exact number here, but you're not going to be able to get it to minus eight or seven or nine or whatever without it distorting. So you don't want to create a scenario where you leave it to be a Caterpillar mix so by the time you get to the mastering or limiting stage, then you have to cut it off and create distortion. You want to avoid distortion from the master bus, from the mix bus, which is the worst type of distortion in my opinion because it color- it changes everything. A single plugin on a mix bus can change the entire mix. So what you want to do is you want to... Um, compensate for that by actually removing transients and and thoughtfully creating more headroom and lowering peak levels through saturation, harmonics, compression, blah, 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 distortion in the mix on individual tracks so you don't have to do as much on the mix bus. And to be quite frank here, this is something that I've talked about with a lot of many other people here, but to a certain degree, if I I think that in a lot of cases especially with modern pop music compression on a mix bus does not work half as well as people think it does it's it should be in fact if you can avoid using a compressor on the mix bus completely because you've you've done well gain staging and um adjusting your mix to have headroom at the end then it's going to sound better. Compression at the end doesn't always make a mix sound better. You know, it depends on the genre, it depends on the song, but I think that most people kind of like blindly, uh, f- kind of throw a compressor on the end with a mix bus, thinking that it's going to make their mix thicker and they don't bypass it and realize, oh, it's actually making the song worse. Um, especially with hip hop or any sort of like modern EDM type genre, like compressors typically aren't aren't very good sonically speaking for those type of genres so no, for rock when you want to con- when you want the mix to be super condensed and super compressed sounding it's a little bit different but with EDM with with hip hop um I mean we had a little master class with Irko, uh a couple months ago and he's like I never ever use a compressor on my mix bus at all and he'll just instead like hit minus five minus seven gain reduction on his fa- like his fab filter L2 like he'd rather hit minus seven. Peak gain reduction on his Fab filter L2, than to use any sort of compressor. Which is, I mean, for hip hop when it's that deep, because compressors, especially if it's with the wrong attack and release times, it can start to make it sound pumpy. It can pump the sound. It can actually make it quieter. So just um, something to look out for. A uh, couple tools that I do recommend. I think everybody should pay the twenty or twenty five dollars to buy. Um, a tool called the standard clip by sir audio s-i-r it's a blue box it's a hard clipper the soft it also does soft clipping um, but it's really abrasive it's pretty aggressive but it's a genuinely useful tool in order to create headroom and sometimes you can get away like if you put it on hi-hats you can get away with lowering peak volume or peak levels uh without changing the tone of it at all. Because with if you distort a, a trap hat, <laughs> what is it gonna do? Add a little bit of fizz, more fizz for the for the the one moment, though the three samples that it's there for. You know, uh it's it's actually a pretty useful tool. You can use it on snares, you can use it on mixes. I recently I've been doing a mix. It's more within the P H O N K Funk genre I've been doing mixes for an artist named Barely Human. Six A R L-E-Y-H-U-M-A-N released a song called Your Vampire. I'm, I'm mixing his new EP, um, which is like DigiCore type stuff. We're talking like minus six to minus four LUFS by the time that we're getting it because the point of it is it's supposed to be like distorted. So um, with all that stuff, I use the Sur Audio standard clip just even on the instrumental bus I'll just like clip everything in the instrumental bus and the cool thing about clipping is, and this is something that I've spoken about many times in the past on the podcast is that unlike a compressor where the compressor is emulating turning down the volume for that single instantaneous moment a clipper will just it won't lower the volume it'll just cut off the top so there's no there's no actual pumping it's just adding what what do you call it like fuzz or fizz just that dis- that classic distorted sound so it's not actually lowering the volume so you can actually uh, keep some level of perceived punchiness so i'm having a mix that's genuinely like -4 minus -5 minus lufs and it sounds pu- it sounds punchier and the kick drum feels like it's punching more than the rough mix which was mixed at minus nine minus ten and that's straight up just clipping and that's that's a really the, the you'll see the level just doesn't move when you have like a minus four or minus five lufs mix that peak meter that peak level meter is like not moving there's like no bouncing there's no like you can't you can't see when the kick drum is hitting just looking at the meter but there's this perceived punch Perceived punch and punch usually comes from the dynamic difference of like low to high, but there's this perceived punch which isn't actually there. There's technically no punch, there's technically no dynamic change, but it feels like it's there because of a good use and a strategic use of clipping. Now, you can also just totally ruin a mix or ruin a track with clipping, and it is one of those things where Dave Pensado in an episode talking about specifically Sir Audio's standard clipper has talked about that clipping is kind of an art form where you kind of just have to feel it out. And I would recommend bypassing it, figuring, reading the manual for that plugin. Um, another couple great clippers that I like to use. Is uh, This is not free, but I use this on every single mix, is the Massey Golden Master. It's a soft clipper. Now, there's many other soft clippers out there. Soft clippers, instead of squaring off the wave, will just kind of round it out a little bit more, kind of like a compressor, except it doesn't lower the volume of that section. It just kind of rounds off the edge. So basically, just a um, a saturator implies adding harmonics, but this is just a soft clipper. It's not necessarily adding harmonics. It's just lowering the... Um, it probably does add harmonics, but it's it's just lowering the peak levels there so that's kind of it for this episode i'm really hoping that y'all can get louder mixes i'm going to tell you uh, a secret right here people don't want to don't want to admit to this or no people do admit to this but i don't think people realize how important of a skill this is until you get to the higher levels of mixing i mean when you start getting paid significantly more and you start working with label or management um Loudness of a mix is actually incredibly important. Even if they're going to hire uh, a high-level mastering engineer, when you're submitting mixes, you don't submit lower-volume mixes without a limiter. You always submit mixes hot. As loud as possible. That's you always do that. And then if they ask for a pre-master or something to send to the mastering engineer, that's when you take off the limiters, you lower the level so they have enough headroom. You you never ever submit a mix. Like that's how you lose a gig because most people who are not as technically minded about audio as you are, probably listening to this podcast, what they're gonna hear is, oh, this this mix doesn't punch. This hit mix doesn't hit. They don't realize that. Um, people confuse volume with punchiness or volume with how great a mix sounds. So literally, you can have two of the same exact mixes. Let's say one comes from mixer A, one comes from mixer B, but the only thing mixer B did was limit it one dB more, so it's just slightly louder. No A&R, no manager, no artist is going to pick mix A.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.
1: Even if there's slightly more artifacts in B, nobody's going to pick A. And that's the reality of it. Like, getting loud mixes is a big... It's not secret, but is a big skill to have when it comes to leveling up. I've literally had a... a client, not a client, a student where I taught him for a few months. I don't typically take on students, but at the time I was, he was like my only student. And this is Pixel. Shout out to you, Pixel. Pixel was doing bigger records, bigger hip hop records in India, right? And like some Punjabi rap type stuff. And there was one record where the client just kept coming back with revisions and he was getting frustrated. So he wanted to bring it to me to a lesson. Shout out to Pixel. He's a great mixer, right? Awesome mixer, good guy. And he's like, hey, I don't know what it is. And I was looking at the revision notes. And in my mind, somehow, I translated the revision notes as like, oh, they just want this mix louder. I think it was the combination of I heard the mix, and I knew it wasn't going to be loud enough for like commercial levels. And then on top of that, just like looking at the revisions, and I was like, oh, something they're talking about punchiness, or I don't remember exactly what the notes were. Um, This is quite a few months ago, maybe not quite a year ago, maybe about a year ago. Um, Anyway, so All he did, the the next revision four or whatever, revision five or whatever he was on, he sent it in. The only difference that he made is I asked him just just to see as like a test to troubleshoot and like recalibrate how they're hearing things. It's like, just the next the next revision, don't listen to anything else that they say. Just do a louder mix. Limit it a couple dBs more. Get it a couple dBs, LUF, couple dBs of LUFS louder. So I think it was like minus 10. Get it to like minus 8. Send it out to them again and see how they respond and then let's look at the revisions there. Because if, if they have different sets of revisions, so it's like a test. We're going to see if that solved a lot of their issues or if they're going to be like that made it worse. So we're going to find out. And so what happens is that he did that And then they had no revisions. That was the accepted mix. All it was was louder. That's the only issue that they had, which is an insane concept for anybody that knows what's going on in the background, like technically understands how a mix and master works, you know, but it's insane that for most people that solves a lot of issues. And actually, you can hide a mediocre mix behind a really loud master. And when it comes to practical making money or making art, like even for the average consumer, it's kind of sad but it's also a useful tool to understand and acknowledge that loudness can compensate a lot and if you can actually use loudness in order to enhance your mix you don't, instead of compensating you can just enhance it and make it sound better and then to a certain degree degree, the unfortunate truth is whoever makes the louder mix, reasonably so is going to win. Because there's also ways that you can make a louder mix by just like adding artifacts and completely distorting it, using compressors way too hard on the mix bus and it's pumping the entire thing unless That's the desired effect. There's a lot of ways to lose balance in that. So if you can maintain the balance, the intended mix, and make it fucking loud, you're likely going to win over the client. And that, that goes for mastering as well. Um, because at the end of the day, even at higher level stuff, it's not an engineer that's sitting at the desk that's approving all the mixes for Capital and for you know um, Columbia and for Warner Brothers. It's not. It's not an engineer sitting at the desk saying this song is ready to go. It's usually a random dude that's just really passionate about music and doesn't know a lick about mixing, and then all he hears is how, basically to to an untrained ear, this shit is bumping. This shit sounds great. The mix engineer did a great job. It's approved. That's all they're hearing. So don't don't think that it's an engineer approving these mixes. Even especially if you're an, like an independent mixer, which most people are, right? If you're mixing or mastering a song, remember that the artist is not an engineer. So to a certain degree, you have to compensate for that. So when they say, um, I mean, this is this is why tools are so important. I might I might go on a tangent. I'm not trying to turn this episode turn it around, but um, When they say things like we want the music to sound more blue, that might mean added dynamics kind of makes the lower parts feel lower made. So like compressing it less, adding more dynamic range might make the quieter parts feel more quiet and the louder parts feel louder, which that that dynamic difference may make it feel the emotions of the low part will feel really, really low. So just just. Consider that everything is emotion-based. Clients don't really think in technical. And as an engineer, we use technical tools and technical terms in order to achieve emotions. Does that make sense? So why do we want this thing to be really loud and really punchy? It's because punchy and loud usually means energy and excitement um, and it's not the case for most other mixes so if like if you're like working on a folk song loudness perceived loudness may not be the issue so when they're asking for revisions about hey like we need this to be more emotional it might be the opposite use less clipping use less limiting it may be and how do you know until without experience without practice and honestly like the idea like you should be your mind this is how my mind works I love to throw in tests all the time to see how people react or see how um, and this is like a marketing brain right so you kind of do anyway so uh one way that you can test is by having the client sending the client out of uh, a version It'd be like hey uh this is for one version version two the, based off the revisions that you did and here's version three i'm just going to send you another version right now so you have two options to listen to which is i did this which i think um what you mean and maybe a different version so they can and you test they say okay did they like version two which you tried a few different things and then version version three or sorry version two is exactly the notes that they asked for version three was what you think they meant with a little bit of different sort of revision and you could test which one they like more in order to figure out which direction they meant did they actually really know what they were talking about or or were you right with the guessing another uh Another example of that is I had a client this is a couple of years ago who said they wanted more low end on their mix what I did is actually I cut the low end and I saturated it more so it was distorting so we had more upper harmonics so adding octaves to the bass so there's it's perceived to be louder but it's actually less sub which is eating up the headroom, it's less sub frequencies. And they said that was exactly it. So how do you know what they really mean? So that was just a guess bases off of that was just a really good guess of mine. I was like, okay, this person doesn't isn't really an engineer, I'm pretty sure that they just want louder bass, not more bass, because to an engineer, more bass means more 40 to 60 hertz. But to a normal person, potentially more bass might just mean louder bass. Which means that you're going to have to cut the low end, so less less bass equals more bass by just raising the volume and cutting the the sub frequencies that are eating the most amount of headroom. So that's just something to think about, right? So make sure that this episode is kind of turning into how to appease clients, but useful, great use of harmonic saturation, clipping, set, uh, um. Harmonic saturation, clipping, limiting, and I think people should use limiting a little bit more, not just compressing, but like hard limiting um, a little bit more in their mixes. You can use that as well. Um, Is... Really great tools to create loudness, um, to create different tones, to create different textures and colors. You can really bring out an acoustic guitar through saturation. Things that you can, things, you should just try things out make sure to always, I'm a big fan of this, make sure to always bypass and re-enable and test back and forth. So as you do that, I hope that you can make mixes louder. I hope that you can make mixes be more musical. I do hope that you can um, make your clients happier. Make If you're making your own music, I'm hoping that you can achieve the sound that you're hearing in your heads. And on that Please subscribe to the exclusive episodes if you haven't already. Go to com slash exclusive. Thank you again for Tegler and Ilio and Overloud for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Um, and if you have been listening for a while and you're a big fan of the show, it's totally free. Whatever platform that you're listening on, please leave a five-star review. That really helps us a lot. I've been counting the numbers. I've seen a few people post uh, new reviews on Spotify and on Apple. That literally, that fucking goes a long way. So I really appreciate anybody that does do that. Um, So thank you so much for listening. Hopefully this episode will help you make some better mixes. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy.